Hello and welcome to a very special edition of The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. It is the US inauguration special, the first of its kind here at The Giant Pod. I have two of my favourite Americans who are currently living in the UK, in my hometown. I've got Will Angeloro and I've got John Nelson. If you're thinking, oh, I know those names, I've heard those voices, that's because they each had an episode in season one of The Giant Pod. So if you like what you've heard here, please make sure that you go back and check out their individual episodes because they are bloody great uh what do we talk about we talk about the reagan era we talk about trump we talk about the rust belt talk about ohio talk about long island we talk about the election we talk about some election figures and demographics we talk about the inauguration michelle obama's outfit lady gaga and her gold in-ear monitors and a golden mic <laughs> uh what else we talk about the speech we talk about biden's politics historically what his politics might be moving forward uh post-trump we talk about uh we talk about the capitol building oh all kinds of things the cia fbi war economies the supreme court uh it, it, it's a really wide-ranging chat I didn't say an awful lot in this actually because I was I was just enjoying the conversation that I was you know part of so much and learning so much that my input is fairly minimal, uh, but it's a great chat nonetheless. So check this one out. Here it is. This is the U.S. inauguration special on the Giant Pod. So yeah, thanks for coming on to this this uh, special edition of the Giant Pod. This is a, an inauguration special, but yeah, maybe we should, we, we should uh, try and sum up the last four years of, of Trump's presidency before we do that. I, I mean, I don't know where you guys sit. I'm assume I'm I can assume I know where you sit on this, but. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure with you, John. Actually, well, actually, will. to save to save time, could we just put on ACDC Highway to Hell? <laughs> uh, we're all in agreement then. But no, but act- actually, what I was going to say that that would be really appropriate for me because I come from the Midwest, and there was a time when ACDC and all that heavy metal stuff were really was really big, and it's the Midwest. All these people from the Midwest who toted guns up to the Capitol from right. Ohio. Don't yeah, believe it. quite a bit. Did, uh, how do you sum up four years of Trump? It's It's been bizarre worlds. I mean, you could go on and use every cliche so, such as unprecedented or, you know what I mean? But it, it, it's hard to really put it into words what a break from reality it's felt like. Uh, to, to me, the it started before the 2016 election when he introduced the term fake news. But there's never been a bigger irony of what he's complaining about as to as to what his administration was putting out to the world. I mean, just facts, alternative facts. You remember that from Kellyanne Conway? It's it's yeah. it's hard to argue with Trump supporters when you literally it is it, it's Orwellian. It's it's um it's Room One Hundred One. It's like a one in one is three. Now, how do you argue with that? How do you dissect the the mentality between? Not all, but most Trump supporters. Where where do you get in to try to to try to break off? I mean, the second largest 
turnout for voting in history was for Trump in this last election. You know, you, even though he lost, he had more votes than Obama ever did or, or even Reagan. So yeah. it, it just yeah. it boggles the mind. I can't mm. understand it. I mean, I understand dissent. I understand Republican, you know, well, it, it, at least fiscal Republican, fiscal conservatives. I understand the argument. I disagree with them. But when you're saying that the election was stolen and there's zero evidence, you say, well, I still don't believe it. But, but you know, it started when, remember Spicer, when Trump got inaugurated and Spicer, his spokesman at the, at the time, went on and said, this this was the largest crowd watching inauguration in history. It was complete fiction. But it started from there, you know, and he was basically forced to go out there and say this. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? That sort of leads to, to, to even the, the, the last two weeks of events. You see, what is it about that re- rejection of what's right in front of your face that, that fed into such a huge swath of American voting public? How, how did it happen? What was what was the underlying theme there that, that, that people looked at him and said, yeah, he's he." Either they see he's lying or they say, I don't care. Either way, we've got a bigger problem, and Trump really is a symptom, not a not a cause. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, seriously, because for me, everyone's talking about Trump, Trump, Trump. Actually, Trump's there because of the neglect of this huge swath of America for 30 years. You know, terrible, you know, not not enough investment in education. And when it when they did do federal government, they they got all these other crazy agendas in there. So they were pushing, pushing political agendas upon people in mm. educational systems and people rejecting. So it's huge. You know, that's that's it. It wasn't like the federal government was bringing anything to them. And meanwhile, they're seeing everybody get really wealthy and they're the hinterland and they've all their industries closed. You know, where I come from in Ohio, you know, my when my parents grew up, it was the boom town. Everything was happening, and it's just gone now. But, but I mean, mm. even even the slightest bit of, of American history, just reading up on how that happened, it takes you back to one man, and that's Ronald Reagan. That's a deregulation and destruction of the um, and destruction of the America's industry. Now, how do we go from the most popular president in history, Ronald Reagan, who? disassembled the working class of America, A, put him on a pedestal. And let's not forget, it was Ronald Reagan who came up with Make America Great Again. It was not, that was Trump borrowing his phrase. Now, how do we get, fast forward 40-something years, to everything else being the cause of the problem? I mean, that is, that is again, some mass, mass programming. I don't know where that Trump comes from. Trump consciously copied uh, the Reagan approach and agenda with an extra slice, which Bannon had worked out for him. Identified this huge. And that extra slice was white nationalism. Well, you call it white nationalism. You call it working class. You call it. You call it well, all kinds of stuff. You know, and, and there's lots of derogatory terms people thrown at people. But it's a whole mixture of groups who are just so disassociated from what we would consider as a normal society, good educational systems, and like broad ed, broad information systems. They all they all they all watch the same news. Tiny, you know. Smaller and smaller closets of news. The only thing I would say that it's interesting that having having the two of us from two completely geographical different parts couldn't, couldn't be any different, more different to where I grew up from you. I come from from New York, from New York City in particular, and it's a, a, a the state itself is huge. The state definitely always goes Democrat, but Long Island where I spent most of my years is 
Trump country. And you cannot say that this is a country, a part of the country that was decimated by by industry closing. This is, these are the same people that I went to school with. These had the same opportunities, the same education, because the people who didn't vote for Trump on Long Island were were definitely the 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 red lines, the disaffected, you know, minority communities. But it, it, the white population who they would argue that they're suffering, but I won't say they're suffering in the way they did in Ohio when, when the factories closed, you know? So it's a strange, again, mm, it's a strange yeah, no, that is interesting. But Long Island is special. <laughs> that's, that's a great way of putting it. Oh, do you remember, by the way, that there's another person on this podcast? Hi, Andy. We didn't forget you. <laughs> hey, you guys. I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm learning something. <laughs> yeah. um, I was going to say Long Island is um, it's, it's quite middle class. Am, am I right? Well, it's it's, it's, it's diverse. You've got the the most expensive real estate in all of America on the North Coast. That's the Great Gatsby kind of, you know, Oyster Bay area. To some of the most horrific, horrifically deprived neighborhoods and then everything in between. So I'd say the white population, for the most part, were very middle class, yes. As you say, because Trump in this election was more popular with uh suburban housewives um than he's ever been and i think this is because he said he was going to save the suburbs from um social housing or, wh- or whatever the the term is you know um, well he was big if you remember on his his scapegoat early in in the trump years was the uh, ms13 gang that um i think it's an el salvadorian gang now they have a heavy presence on long island in the in the deprived areas so it is quite a real fear perhaps a boogeyman, but quite a real fear for the suburban housewife in New York. I don't know how well that played in, you know, Topeka, Kansas. You know, it definitely played in suburban New York. Right. But I can't imagine, again, I can't get my head around that a suburban housewife on Long Island, median income, would bank their entire future on a little bit of fear from... Crime? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It has to be something bigger. Or Mm. perhaps it is just plain lack of engagement. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Somehow I feel there's a group of people out there, it doesn't matter where they're located, they're feeling a bit powerless and disconnected, and they're associating Mm. with people of the same mindset. And Mm. it's that powerlessness where they're actually trying to grasp how can they become a really important uh, figure in this process. And it's actually going for these sort of alternative things which sort of play into all their why I haven't succeeded, why I don't have more money. It's all the bankers taking everything. It's all the, te- the telecom, you know, it's all the technology companies out in California. And, and uh, you know, everyone's against us. <laughs> we just want to hunt, drive our pickup. Uh, we want to shop and get a bigger TV. It's like that sort of basic process. Sure, but where, where does empathy play into that? Because if, you, if you're... Uh... In your mind, you're part of an oppressed class, the white Christian oppressed class. Wouldn't you say it's oppressed, but wouldn't you feel empathetically more aligned to the plight of Black Lives Matter, for example, which seems to be diametrically opposed? And but hang on, did you watch? Did you watch this summer Black Lives Matter? What was happening? With the violence and the I watched, destruction, I watched it live on TV every day. Yeah, yeah, so all that destruction, so that that actually plays right into their sort of narrative. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, but but 
you have to think about who's got the real axe to grind. Now, I'm not. I'm talking about New York Trump yeah. voters. I'm not talking about Rust Belt Trump voters, who, who I can say who genuinely have been left on the heap. But again, it's such a diverse, a diverse crowd. I can't see where the, the crossover between Black Lives Matter and the the suffering Rust Belt worker. It seemed to me that there's there's cause, there's like cause there and like reason to lobby the government and bring in progressives. Because really, progressives are the only people who have an agenda to, uh, I guess, you, you could argue, bring industry back, whatever the hell that means, but at least give everybody a fair chance. Yeah, you know, there's a really interesting thing that happened after post-Reagan. So, around, so my when I grew up in, you know, northern Ohio, Lake Erie, beautiful countryside, farms, but the main economic stuff was always small industry steel and that dribbled away. But when I was growing up, every election, my parents had election night party and everyone would come. We'd get signs from Democrats, Republicans, whoever in our front yard, people would come around, people would have drinks and watch the election, have a laugh. Okay. And then Bush senior and it fell apart. People couldn't talk to each other. And then it was the Clinton years, and then by then, it was finished. And hey, my parents never had another gathering on election night, because instead of the views all being, you know, we're Republican or Democrat, it's okay, we, we vote differently, but we all go and, we, mm-hmm. you know, our kids go to baseball games together, everything. It suddenly became like this, where they wouldn't even talk to each other. And it's sort of gotten worse and worse. And in Washington, I think that's a bigger, that's, I think you're 100% correct. I also think that's a much bigger conversation from this podcast if we're going to try not to go flying <laughs> off on too massive a tangent. But I have my theories about that as well. And I do believe that is rooted in Reaganism. I do believe that's rooted in the rise of, partly in the rise of the, uh, the Christian right in America. Um, but again, we could go on and on and on about that. But if if we're going to focus on on the inauguration, ah, and, is that what we're focusing yeah. on, Andy? What are we What are we talking well, that's about? What Andy here. told me in his email. Well, so, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. We, we we are talking about the inauguration, but I, you know, it's good to have it's good to have this discussion about what leads up to it. Um, and, and you mentioned Black Lives Matter, Will. Um, I heard a statistic that Trump was more popular with black voters this time around than he was last time. Where did you get that statistic? I don't know I don't know if that's White House spin from his administration. It, it sounds like it is. It sounds like an OAN or a Newsmax or even, dare I say, the, the soon to be dead Fox News. Um it doesn't that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, I think I think their 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 that share of vote rose. By no means was it a majority. It might have been a small increase because proportionally he took way more votes generally. So maybe, but I don't know. I don't know anything about yeah. that. Yeah, that I makes think that's sense. probably right. That makes yeah. sense. If more people come out to vote, mm. obviously you're going to have a a a, a, a multicultural uh, election. You have a skewed average as well for Trump to come out and say, "Well, X amount of people. This is so much more of a." But you're not looking at it in percentage to the people who actually voted. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. Right. My, my theory with Trump is, I mean, I've been to where you grew up pretty much, John, in, in uh, Ohio, yeah. um, touring with sick ones. And what we saw in the Rust Belt is basically the sort of the skeletons, the shell of what used to be a picturesque sort of American dream, you know, neighborhoods, lovely houses boarded up. Yeah. And I th- and I and, and I think the Trump effect is that he comes along. He says, oh, "I'm not a politician. 
I'm going to drain the swamp. Oh, I'm going to say these outrageous things that you'll never see statesmen say. Blah, 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 blah. And he starts to appeal to these people who feel like they've been wronged by traditional politics for 30 years or not listened to by their, their uh, senators or whatever. And um, and then you've also had that other, that other rhetoric on the left where you had the silent majority where when when it was the 2016 election you know the people on the left were so so angry at people anyone who wanted to vote for Trump with the maga hats and you know calling people racists and you know i guess the writing was on the wall um that a lot of people said you know what, i'm just not going to tell anyone who i'm voting for or i'm just not engaging in this conversation and then all of a sudden i went to bed election night thinking hillary had snatched it woke up and Trump was president. I couldn't fucking believe what was going on. And I think that's part of it, is that he he, he presented an alternative. Perhaps. I, I, I think you're right. But now, now here we are four years later, and I do not have the time to go through all the horrific things we've had as a nation yeah. and as the world to, to, to suffer through. How did he still get 75 million votes? How do people look at what he said, look what he did, looked at the... The executive orders, the um, the the appointees to the circuit court, the federal judge, and the Supreme Court, and say, yeah, that's our guy. But a lot of people don't feel, you know, I think there's been in a lot of these places, a lot of people feel that something's wrong in Washington, and mm. I think I think you might agree with that as well, Will, that there is something yeah. wrong in Washington. The way politics runs and lawmaking is done in the D.C. is pretty bloody appalling. That's number one. Number two is this incredible militarization of America. America's been a war economy since World War II. And it's still, that's the war, that's the war economy. And, and it's just the, the debt of the United States is just ridiculous. And, it's, and the people are, people who don't want to pay taxes in the first place by nature, many Americans just don't want to pay tax, particularly the right wing. You know, they, they feel something's wrong in D.C. Now, I personally, I'm quite liberal, and I don't think D.C.'s running very well, personally. And the, the way that whole, the whole politics is dirty politics, the lobbyists in and out of each other's pockets, there's a, this revolving door between government and industry, and it's all... And I'm telling you, Washington, D.C. is all funny handshakes. It is. And you got to be in the right circles. It's all that kind of stuff. So sometimes people can see that, and they know something's wrong, and it's out of their control. They're just pumping more money, money, money. And so there's that resentment, which is seeking a home. And I think that's the kind of thing that people discover. There's, there's this huge group, huge group that don't even vote and actually looking for a home. So let's give them a home and we combine it with these. Then we got the election. And that was the sort of calculation they did. And they just lied continuously. It's interesting to pick up on your point about a war footing, a war economy. There was a great film that came out in the um, late 90s called Wag the Dog which was about manufacturing a fake war to divert attention from a presidential scandal. But there was a great scene where, where he's caught by the CIA and he's having this conversation and he, he convinces the CIA to let him go. This is the president's spin doctor by saying, America, if we're not at war, what use are you? So post Iraq war, I wonder how much of this is still a war footing by militarizing the police across the entire country. It's an interesting, interesting thought. Just, you just got me thinking about that. And I wonder how then that plays to 
the opposition to the BLM group and to the, the traditionally oppressed Americans. Probably going off on the tangent. No, I don't think so. I think you're spot on because just think, think about who joins the police force. Not always the sharpest tools in the box, number one. Number two, a lot of them have military background. A lot of the people who end up go into the military for all these bloody wars, they, they come from the rural hinterlands. Where there's no jobs, there's no opportunities. So like, this is their chance to get out and maybe get a college education or something. So it's all sort of ties together. It's all these links. And the militarization of America, you know, that's the thing that just drives me nuts. You won't educate the richest country on the earth, and it won't educate its children or take care of their health, yet they're going to blow up everything, which, which you mentioned that movie you just mentioned. Trump is like the Trump. first president not to start a war. Um, not entirely true. Not entirely true. There was Yemen. Seven, since the 1970s. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not saying it's worth it. I'm not saying that was worth it necessarily. No, 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 no. <laughs> I also wanted to pick up on your first point about how how poor Washington is run, and that takes me up to this past election. In a normal world, for me at least, Joe Biden would represent the most milquetoast, middle-of-the-road, standard, cut-out politician that you can get. I never could have supported him. Given the the monster we've been dealing with, he seems like a savior when he really is nothing more than a middle of the road politician, a back backroom handshake, corporate sponsored Democrat politician. And I hope, my big hope, and we've only been forty eight hours in, so it's impossible to tell, is that this this reaction, this reaction to the last four years of of you know neo fascism that. The Democratic Party will shift to, you know, cleaning up the electoral system, cleaning up the lobbying system, and 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 putting in processes to genuinely help the people that need it. Those people in the Rust Belt, those people who have that innate fear of 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 being left behind. I I hope that the promise of the Democratic Party actually comes true. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen because the Democrat everything you say that you're fighting against the Democratic Party that's that's their business model. You know, so I think I think this is the problem. And Bill and Biden is a machine politics kind of guy exactly. who opposed desegregation back in the seventies. Uh, so you know, he's part of that whole machine, and this is what the, he's. That's why that's why someone like a Trump coming in, people are looking for something different because basically the American political system seems to be designed so that. When you get tied with this set of bums and their friend, you can throw them out. We go for this one for a while. But the change is mm -hmm. very insubstantial. Mm -hmm. Well, it's insubstantial fiscally. I think now, this might take us into a whole other part of the discussion. It is definitely not insubstantial on cultural issues. I mean, the difference between an Obama and a Clinton and to a lesser extent to George W. and, and then a, a Trump is... is Tremendous, absolutely tremendous for, for, uh, for example, LGBT community. I mean, there is there is no discussion on who legislatively was a friend to these this minority group, uh, ob the Obama administration or the Trump administration. So that's another balancing game that I've had to deal with all my life. Is you know, do we vote for the lesser? Do we vote for the Bidens of the world because it's not the Trumps? Yet you know. 
how are we sacrificing culture? It's difficult to say. Again, I have no answers. I'm, I've, if I've learned anything in the last four years between Brexit and, and Trump is that I, I have no idea what the hell is going on. Anymore. Well, my nice 90-year-old parents who were just on the phone just before we started up. Yeah. My mom, my mom has died in the world Democrat, you know, and mm. she's progressive always. And, you know, she, she's got strong views on politics. And she basically, in many cases, tells me that she's voting for the lesser of two evils. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is terrible. That's a terrible thing. You know, you, and actually by voting for the lesser of two evils, you get them into power. So suddenly you've backed them. You put them there. So there's always the lesser of two evils is still evil. But again, I have to always calm my inner inner turmoil up by saying from a cultural point of view, it's going to make a lot of people's lives better by having the lesser of two evils. Again, there's... I think so, as long as there's no war. Yeah. Yeah. I hope there isn't. <laughs> well, I'm, I feel, I feel, this is my prediction, Andy. You heard it here first. 20, maybe late 2022, depends on how the, the COVID crisis, but late 2022, you're going to start to hear the murmurs of the war. Mm. Because, you know, election will be coming and the, the bankers on Wall Street want to top up their tills. So let's get those, um, let's get that economy going. So, so, so I, so you know, that's 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 my big worry. That that's what's going to happen. We're going to go back to business as usual. We're going to go right back to another pattern. This has been a four-year period when there haven't been any new new wars. I mean, there's been some zany political antics with you know <laughs> North Korea, and you know it's like insane political things, but no war. Mm. That's that's the one good thing I would say. What I thought was interesting is that I think it's already changed our culture because there you are, Will. You're using the word tremendous. Several times. That's Trump's word, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue, I would argue that word was probably around before Trump, but that's another story. <laughs> it's true. No, no, no. Ask him. He invented it. <laughs> who's the uh, Who's the war with? China? No way. Impossible. Both countries are too economically interlinked. It'll be It'll be a small country. Um, probably hard to pronounce. For dubious reasons. I think it's probably going to be right. either Iran, Ethiopia, or Libya. One of those three, probably. Mm. For various reasons. I can see why Iran, in the sense that, you know, it seems to have been bubbling and brewing and tensions have been tightening. Um, but why why Ethiopia? And why Somalia? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, well, a million, yeah. there's a million non-reasons, you know? Right. They just sort of make it, one up. It, and- it'll it'll tack back up. I mean, I don't even know if they can bring back the specter of Islamic uh, fundamentalism anymore to justify a war. So um, it's it's hard to, tell. hard to tell. I mean, it could be Nigeria. It could be supporting you know the government of Nigeria in, in a potential civil war with you know the Boko Haram. But who knows? Who knows where it's they're already go. doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, Andy, the war will be decided by who. The CIA thinks it could it could benefit the most from. So we'll find I out. Wanna, I would like to know be, before we talk about the actual inauguration event because there's a couple comments I had on that. <laughs> well, I want to know from you, Will. For me, I watched what happened at the at the Pentagon, uh, not the Pentagon, the Capitol building, and you know, 
you know, I used to play, I used to live in D.C., and we used to go out and play Frisbee golf on the mall at night, you know. And the Pentagon, mm-hmm. the, the Capitol building was our final hole, the 18th hole, where our Frisbees would hit that, mm-hmm. you know. And, when, and I went there as a kid, and so when I saw what happened there and the destruction, and the more I started getting kind of OCD on the v- YouTube uploads to see what people were doing, I could not believe it. And it affected me, and I think it's more important for the states than 9-11. Mm. Because culturally inside, the, I think culturally it's so deep, whereas 9-11 affected everyone, and particularly global, because they had to blow things up. After. Also, 9-11 was, was, was outside. We, had, we could unite as us Against and an them. Enemy. Yeah. yeah. With, with what's, what's hard to wrap your head around, this is, these are our neighbors. So, I don't know. I, I, I found it absolutely horrifying. Um, I think like most people do. Uh, for all the complaints we have, it's still, and maybe this is white privilege, it still is the pillar of what has allowed me to be who I am today, you know, is is having that freedom and growing up in, the, in, in, in that freedom. And just to, to see the tact in such a brazen, and let's face it, really stupid way. I mean, I mean if people are calling them moronic, people are calling them terrorists, a plot or whatever. No one would march in there with their driver's license in their pocket and stand in front of the millions of security cameras there and try to charge into the Senate chair. And then do a selfie. <laughs> it, it, it was just it was just an exercise in idiocy, really. And, and I mean, futility. It, it's, it, it's the final the final end. I mean it's I can't look at the attack on the Capitol and say it was a one off event. It was it was building up to this for, for again back to back to Reagan's shutting down and, and deregulating the uh, the car industry. That's when the attack on the Capitol started. Yes, we've talked about the. Historical build-up, the bubblings of all this. We've talked about the Trump effect. Sort of took, glanced over his four years. I mean, it's, it's a whole other podcast, isn't it? It's almost like a true crime documentary <laughs> podcast to, to go through his four years. It's unbelievable. Estimate, unbelievable. Estimated over 30,000 lies in his four years that <laughs> has been count, counted by the uh, Washington Post or New York mm. Times or something. Um, Tremendous. <laughs> averages it 20 lies a day yes. something like that over 20 uh, lies or misleading statements a day for four years as president mm. uh, so we've touched upon the capital siege um, secu- let's talk about the security leading up to the inauguration have you ever seen anything like that have you ever seen Washington shut down quite like that and the vetting of the troops as well. They said they'd gone through their text messages, and yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how they are they supposed to declare this stuff. No, Trump is Trump there? is absolutely delighted. Okay, he's delighted because he everyone panned him for nobody when nobody's showing up at his inauguration. Look at Biden; no one's there. Mm, okay, yeah. no one. You know what I mean? And in a perverted way, he'll be going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's just insane because that public mall is like the public open space and it shows a real paranoia, political paranoia. Yeah. I'm not sure why that, I, I think it was, it wouldn't have happened anyway, having people there. That was a COVID decision. But the, the, 
the militarization of it was definitely post-capital siege. There wouldn't have been people there anyway, but there wouldn't have been tanks, you know, <laughs> parked up or up and down the side streets, you know, had had the siege done happened. I think I think I think I think they could people would be going to be so relieved. I bet they could have um, packed out that mall with people standing a couple meters apart. Yeah, you know they were all doing it. It was quite interesting. It was quite interesting to watch them all coming out. You know, like for a lot of these politicians who adore everyone, the world seeing them, they were all masked up, so you couldn't tell who yeah. was who. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it, it, it was fascinating. I tell you what, though, the Supreme Court, Elena Kagan, one of my heroes in life. Though you could spot her a mile away because she's got that amazing, amazing bushy hair that I love so much. Is that the uh, Latina lady? Yeah, and she's the one that actually actually uh, swore in, um, did did the reciting and swearing in of of, of Biden. But um, no, that was Kamala. Oh, no, so yeah, Kamala. That's what I meant. Sorry, it, yeah, that made more sense. It's only it's been forty eight hours. I can't expect to remember every little detail. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been, I've been sort of since since last Wednesday when that all happened. I've been mm. like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. So I've been sort of ODing on it. Um, I so, and, and actually that's part of the problem because I've been looking on social media and social media is part of the problem. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I thought the inauguration, and I got to be honest, I haven't sat through an inauguration live since Obama's first one. And before that, it would have probably been Bill Clinton's first term as well. Most of the time, I'll just catch bits of it because it's quite boring. You've seen one, you've seen them all. But this felt momentous in a sense. Um, And I was surprised by, I was surprised several ways by Biden's speech. On one, how well-crafted his Trump burns were, um, how how well-written they were not to sound like burns, and they quite clearly, clearly were. Um, I was also... I was also taken back by how... I mean, this is going to be a personal thing, and, and I think anyone who knows me knows I'm an atheist and knows that I am very strongly in favor of the, John, you know, the Johnson Act and the, the separation of church and state. How many times... Did Biden pray to God and mention God and whatever? And never once mentioned any other. You know, it's like we all have a prayer, but never, never acknowledged the broader, the broader um, belief spectrum, which Obama did. Obama did say, you know, whether you are blah 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 or someone of no faith. And I remember all of us in the community jumping up and down, going, "Yeah, that's that's us! Finally, someone, the first time in American political history." You know the the nuns, as we're called, and the the no the no faith were were acknowledged. That was an, it was an interesting speech. I thought he did a did a you know did a decent job. But I will say the highlight of the whole thing for me was uh, Lady Gaga. I yeah. thought she was superb with a gigantic brooch. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't the brooch that got me. Again, us in the audio industry would have noticed that she had in-ear monitors made of gold with a little thing that came around the ear with this thing sticking out. It was it was a it was incredible. Unfortunately, unfortunately by the time she got to the microphone, about four people were lying on the floor cuz she knocked them over with her dress. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said they they were surprised that Trump didn't try to hide under her dress and pop out and ruin the ceremony. So. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, 
I mean, as far as the ceremony goes, it was it was predictable. It was it was quite. It just felt bigger because we're all breathing this sigh of relief. But if you if you've seen them before, it was nothing really that different. I mean, taking away the COVID and the distancing and the masks. What was said was sort of. Eh. I did enjoy right. the poet, though. Yeah, yeah, because yes. Biden is not a natural orator. You know, not at he all. sort of he, do, he, do, he doesn't flow, and it didn't. You know, and I think. I don't think it was a good speech. I don't think it's going to be a memorable speech. I don't no. think people are going to record it. Whereas when when Obama spoke, you know, the words were incredible, and it's also the way he delivered them. So just yes. on that thing, and I'm just, you know, I just don't, I don't even know what to think if they're going to be effective. I think the big thing, you know, they can be effective because the people who he has appointed in his cabinet are highly talented, experienced yes. people. A lot of them from right straight from Obama's administration. Yeah. The problem is, I think, is whether they're going to ever think about this, these these people out here, the 75 million. How are they going to get them back? That's my question. And, and if they go nasty, they're going to drive them away and make that group bigger. Hmm. It's interesting looking at the first 17 executive orders that were that were signed. And to <laughs> yeah. me, it, it, it's considered radical and undoing Trump's. But when you get down to the point, get down to it, it's it's all quite. Where we should have been, where we should have been after Obama finished, in quite middle of the road. There's not everything. Expectations, I think, are changed now. What will be considered radical was very centrist, slightly left. You know, I, I find that bizarre as well. I had a discussion with a friend a couple of weeks ago, who described um, George Soros and his Move On platform as radical socialism, and I'm looking at it going. Again, it's 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 fence sitting slightly leftism. You know what I mean? It's it's cultural rather than fiscal. So I don't. I I agree with you. I don't know what's what's going to be done to toe the line between traditional Democrat middle of the road values and getting these seventy five million people back without causing proud boys marching on the Capitol again. It's impossible. I think that for me, for me, the problem is that they make all these promises, then they get into power and they don't do a damn thing. You know, Bush, mm. or Trump, Trump was going to redo the national infrastructure. We have all these aging highways all across the states. You know, they're big and they're, they go everywhere, but they're all falling apart. And that would have been a huge source of jobs, all kinds of things. Nothing happened. Nothing mm. happened. Nothing happened. No money. And then we got tax cuts, tax cuts. Everybody got a tax cut. If you lo- if you're lower income, the tax cut disappears after a couple of years. High income, it gets even better. So you know, and then they lie. And and I, unfortunately, the Democratic Party is captured by the same constituency, even though they have a very vocal group and much more diverse group. And we can hope that their agendas get treated. But the problem I'm very suspicious about these folks: are they addressing the agenda? Are they own feeding their own narcissism and own agenda? That's mm. the problem with the whole political system. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, that's not a Biden problem. That's a, system, a systemic problem. Yeah. And, and that's that why Biden... these people all feel neglected. Yeah, go on. Sorry, Andy. Do you think Hi, that Andy, Biden... you're here. <laughs> I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying, you know, I'm enjoying your, your discussion, you know. Do you think Biden has almost been forced into, like you said, this sort of a centrist, middle-of-the-road type um, presidency, at least initially just because of how divided everything is do you think he's trying to be i don't think he was forced into anything i think that's what he is and i think that's why they recognized early on that he was the most electable opponent to trump because he's not going to really upset too many people yeah he's always been like that yeah i mean he's 47 years in the senate you know 
he hasn't he hasn't lit the place on fire. He's always been that. He's been a cross party worker, and you know he's he's that kind of person. So maybe that's the right thing that's needed. I mean, there is there is the the again the social cultural effect of having Kamala Harris elected, and I can't. I'm not going to remotely understate the importance of having a woman in the high in the second highest office in, in the country, but if you even do five minutes of homework on on policy for Kamala Harris, she's not a radical. She's not a leftist. She's not uh, a socialist as as she's been placed. She's she's a, almost a center right in a lot of her a lot of her dealings. So. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play. Because let's face it, I don't think Joe Biden's going to last the four years. Or if he does, I don't think he's going to run a second term. And she's the heir apparent. And, you know, can we get a a, a black female Biden policy-wise elected would be culturally a great leap forward. But then again, you're talking another eight years have gone by where these middle American people haven't been addressed. Because career politicians are, are career politicians, no matter what color or gender they are. Yep. Isn't she historically quite tough when it comes to prison sentences? And yeah, she was uh, attorney general in California. Yeah, right. that's a, that's that's an understatement. <laughs> right, I know a lot yeah, about. She's caught Kamala some criticism Harris. for that. What's that? She's caught some criticism for her. Again, that's uh, an understatement, but it's been localized, so it hasn't been nationalized. The right. uh, the the slurs that have been thrown at her and the the attacks from the Trump supporters are just completely. Mad, they just—they're accusing her things that she that she's not. I think, from a policy point of view, if you put her into a white man body, they would go, "It's not that bad," you know. It's 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 pure. I, I do believe it's purely misogynistic and racist. Well, no, but I think I think I think for me, I, what I'm interested in is actually looking at her and the way she operated in California, where as a supposed liberal, mm. notionally on the left, sort of. Doing that with really harsh stuff on prison, you know, not not reforming prisons and actually putting, you know, the sentencing sentencing rules and all that kind of stuff. And actually, why did she do that? Well, I think she probably did it for political expediency. That's my suspicion. So actually, she's willing to do that no matter what the cost to people's lives for political expedience because it, there's a higher prize. And so that's why, you know, I worry about politicians like that. But I think any of the ones who rise to the top... The nastiest ones are the ones who rise to the top because they're the ones who are willing to take the decisions and do the dirty stuff because you have to. So, uh, Andy, how much have we bummed you out? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've been enjoying this. I, I like this. I do want to ask who who was the who's the black gentleman with the red hat on that seemed to know everyone and everyone seemed to really know him and really like judging by their body language, obviously because everyone's masked up. There was a guy, he seemed to know everyone, and they all looked so pleased to see him. I'm just wondering who that was. Oh, I, 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 I can't remember, but what I, what I remember from the inauguration also was the, um, the uh, African-American pastor from Delaware who gave the benediction at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, that, that, his delivery, did you hear it? I did, yes. I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, his delivery was so impassionate, and it was so... I say I would say so bloody American, actually. That gospel, <laughs> yeah. that gospel Baptist church almost team. You know, it's like it's visceral. It's so, and it was really powerful. I mean, is for me it was almost OTT. It was almost you know it was almost a bit too much. But I thought yeah. actually that's it. That is the sort of 
You know, that's a, that's an incredible part of the culture. Yeah. And I thought that was, I, I thought I, that's just something that really hit me, hit me. It stopped me in my tracks actually. Um, when his voice came out, cause he's got, what a voice, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, uh, the, the poet laureate Amanda Gorham absolutely stole the show. There, yeah, she's fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I think it's the the guy you're talking about, if it's who I think it is, is um, another congressman um, named Clyburn, Jim Clyburn. I think that's how you pronounce it, a Clyburn, right? Who's just been around forever. Yeah, they all seem to have like you know when you you know when you're watching people from afar and they're interacting with someone, you can tell you know there's a, there was a lot of warmth for him, and I thought mm. he's either like a really, really powerful guy or uh, he has earned some sort of respect out of, you know, these these hard cases, hard political cases. I don't know enough about him, but but if you want to know about power, check what committees he's on. <laughs> yeah, or but if you really want to, the really interesting, the most interesting thing I saw through all my trolls was the moment just a few minutes after Pence had... After all the disruption, they went in at three o'clock in the morning. And they certified the results, and Pence oversaw that process. Yes. And just after, just after, just as just after, people were sort of congratulating each other. He got a few of those nice little funny handshakes coming at him from out of the crowd, and people gave him little like little gold pins, you know, all part of the whole thing. Because, <laughs> you know, and one could imagine. I mean, the whole place is so masonic, and if, if you look at Obama's election. You just watch it. The, the whole the whole city is laid out in a Masonic pattern to start yeah, with. Yeah. And it's got all these temples and stuff. But you can see all that happening. And that was like the fact that Pence stuck to the job, mm. um, actually did his job, didn't, you know, because he could have, he could have caused, he could have caused chaos. And the fact that he stuck to the job and did what he did, you know, you have to give the guy credit. And I think they, you know, he was getting credit from that from a lot of politicians for the fact that he did that. Because if he had not done that, mm. I mean, it would have been insane. Do you think there's been a Mike Pence redemption arc of some description? No, with- I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna disagree with that strongly. <laughs> not politically, not for me. Politically, no way. Because he didn't roll over for Trump, did he? And he's shown up to the inauguration. He showed his face. I think. Yeah. So if we have if we have two weeks of Pence behaving like traditionally a, a vice president should, does not make up for the previous four and something. You know just under four years of, of being Trump's lapdog and spokesman. Right. And and we can never, ever forget what a horrible anti-gay LGBT person he is. He, he enacted exactly. laws as governor. He, he's he's a despicable man. Yeah, exactly. But but by doing what he did, he gets the pension, he gets all the pins, mm-hmm. he gets to go to all the parties forever. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. But he won't be going to any of those parties without his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, I think I have to agree with you there, Will. Um, I'd sort of forgotten about his uh, ultra-conservative... Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. yeah so Pence was the bridge between Trump and the evangelical right. He was, right. He, was the, um, he was the key to a lot of the appointees in the circuit courts and the federal courts and the Supreme Court. He was, he was the mastermind behind the the crumbling wall of separation between church and state. He probably in the long term has done more damage to America than Trump has. Well, he's institution. He's institutionalized those views because <clears throat> judges, you, you can't, you can't, a lot of these judge appointments, you can't rescind. I mean, some of the, some of the federal appointments last 
for a long time. But I mean, it's a long time. It's, it goes beyond the, the term of a president. So actually, you can't just get rid of them. And their views are there, embedded. So what I think Biden has got to do, he's got to stack the Supreme Court and change the majority. They've done it before. I'm sure they'll do that. It's, a, it's an interesting point, because I, I'm, I'm always on the fence about that. But I think in this case, it has to be. But in its defense, the three majority Trump um in the the majority conservative Supreme Court, and I don't believe in a fully stacked liberal court. I believe in a, no. I, in a, I don't either. I mean, some of some of the greatest um, e- either wins we've had in the Supreme Court in in the last forty years have been surprising, where conservative judges have have not towed the conservative line, but have towed the constitutional line, and that's where we hope we go with this. And D- Doug Souter was uh, Justice Souter was a perfect example when he was put in. Uh, expecting to tilt the 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 whole court to to the right, you know, Rehnquist uh, peeing under his um under his uh, robes, but he time and time again voted strictly on on constitutional interpretation and didn't bring his devout Christianity in ways that Alito has never done, and certainly um what's his name the recently dead um that that awful Supreme Court judge we had. Let's see, I've, I've tried to purge him from my memory. I, I, Will, he's not my Supreme Court judge anymore. I'm yeah. a British citizen. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with me. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? This does affect us over here now because because everyone expected the second term out of Trump in the British government. Everyone did. From from the, the outlying slugs like Farage right up to Boris Johnson and um, um, Michael Gove, they were all personal friends. And with the idea of these these special deal trade issues post Brexit, I think are now all going to fall apart. And while we would, have, as citizens of of the UK, would have been left in a bad position, I think even with a a, a vaguely centrist leftist government we have now, we're going to be in a worse position. I do believe there's there's the Supreme Court, the everything affects us directly here. It has to be. It has to now, especially since Brexit. We are we are. We are stuffed, really. We are at the whims of of, of America. Yeah, not sure. I'm mean, yeah, yeah. We are in a Britain is in a difficult position, but um, I would say that uh, the desire by the United States to strengthen the alliance is so strong and so important strategically globally. Because now what I, because I think what you're going to start to see is that there's going to be more investment in the international institutions, more mm-hmm. investment in these alliances. They're going to build up that whole thing. And then something's going to happen. Perhaps. And perhaps then the money right. starts to roll in because the war economy can start up again. They're really frustrated because there's no sources of growth. So, so, the, so the green economy is one source of growth that all the bankers are looking at. But the war economy is the one that they know works. I, th- I think one particular example is is pharmaceuticals. Um, if I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican, these are the lobbyists that I worry about by not having a Bernie Sanders as president of the United States. Where are we going to be in a, a Republican or Democrat-controlled America? Where is the NHS going to be or, or the, the British government going to be in any sort of bargaining power, bargaining chips with, with, with these people now that we've we've left the European Union, where are we going to be? And I think that Brexit wouldn't have happened had it not been for the impending Trump administration. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. But I just I don't have a lot of hope for that at, at all. 
So, and I think this is another case where where uh, a center left, supposedly center left government, is going to make no difference to our our situation here. I think it's just going to get worse and worse. But again, I'm a cynic, so <laughs> I've been around too long. See, yeah, Garth Brooks. Uh- <laughs> Garth Brooks. You know what? That's the only part of the inauguration I didn't watch. Respect really? for performing, but I loathe Garth Brooks' music. I couldn't sit through it. Dude had the biggest belt buckle I've ever seen. That's because you don't know country music. But you <laughs> but you know who he was singing to. He certainly wasn't down there in D.C. No, he's got down in the country. <laughs> I thought it, it, it looked to me like a very cold and calculated booking but you know hey again cynic what can i like the like that fantastic pantsuit that michelle obama wore i'm telling you she 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 and barack walked down those stairs i thought you guys are looking so good yeah i mean Mm. she just she just she's just stunning actually amazing i just i thought man that that that's like such a powerful woman (laughs) they're rock stars aren't they how about really? this then? When 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 Biden, and I'm going to say inevitably resigns or chooses not to run for the next election, and Kamala Harris runs for president, do you think um, Michelle Obama VP pick? Why would Michelle Obama want to ruin her millionaire lifestyle and go back into that <laughs> hellhole, that cesspit? Don't know. I think she she had enough of it in the eight years with Barack. I'm sure she lived it every day with him. You know, I'm yeah. sure she knew a lot more than, you know, she knew everything, of course, everything. Yeah, I saw an interview with her the other day and she said when they got on that uh, plane or he- helicopter or whatever, whatever it was they took at the end to leave, finally leave Washington at the end of those eight years, she said she cried nonstop for about half an hour because she felt the weight, the weight of it all yeah. Just lift off of her of having to be the the nation's moral compass, as mm. she put it, having to be the bar mm. and be perfect for for the nation. Uh, uh, you know, and I know it's still politics talking. Let me sell my book talk, but um, I don't know. I don't. I just. I don't know. if She'd go back in there. My my gut reaction is saying that she probably has dreams about being in the White House and someone telling her that she can't go across the street and get a mcdonald's or something she probably still has nightmares about because it's a bit like a prison isn't it in a way to a degree did you ever see um jerry seinfeld's comedians in cars getting coffee yes when, when he, had he went o- when the... he had obama on and they, <laughs> yeah. they went to the white house gates to to he goes yeah we're just gonna take the uh take out for a quick cup of coffee and he says you're you're in a comedian in a car with the leader of the free world you're not going anywhere Back up, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Just go and drive in. Yeah. Yeah, but now they're pretty happy. They're 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 settled into their fifteen million dollar yeah. mansion on Martha, in Martha's Vineyard, on the coast. There, it's a lovely place to be. Yeah, yeah, that's Kennedy country. How does Obama make his money now? Books. Probably books, speaking engagements. I don't know if he's on the board of any corporations. He probably is. Who knows? How, how do I, all politicians do? I mean, George See, W. Bush was, is trying to make a life as a painter now, but I don't know how that's working out for him. What is he really? No, he's not trying <laughs> to sell them, but he is. He's he's had a few exhibitions. Yeah, really. I'm amazed. Not that bad of an artist, if, if I may say so. I am amazed because my, of course, my brother lives in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. 
And the, all the stories when old uh, Bush George Jr. was uh, governor in the mansion, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't known for his diligence with respect to work. <laughs> <laughs> Spent a lot of time playing video golf, I think. Is it, is, yeah. is it, is. Did you see J-Lo? I did. I was very... Not, no opinion. No opinion on J-Lo. No, but she, afterwards she was being huddled by Clinton and Obama. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, very, very calculated to have her there. And I don't yeah. necessarily mind that she can sing. She was no Lady Gaga, but she can sing. Um, I get it. It's entertainment. But... Um, Definitely having a Latina female there was was a sign and maybe an impo- a very important message. So singing a Woody yeah. Guthrie song, yeah, which I I found really bizarre, really bizarre. Because it, I even said when I first got, I, I said to myself because I talked to myself. I'm in my own little room here. I said, I wonder how many verses she's going to do because that song gets pretty radical. But yeah, one verse. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then she broke into something. I'm not sure which language it was. It was a Hispanic language of some sort. And it was very, very rappy, very angry. And I was I was like, what did she just say there? I don't know what she said. But I think it was probably edgy, political. Yeah. It's J-Lo. I, so. I doubt it was that edgy. <laughs> <laughs> but again, there's... And I can't, I can't take away from the fact that having a Latino woman in, at the inauguration screaming out in Spanish, you know... Hispanic um, dialect is, is sends a very powerful message, you know. I just don't have to like her voice. <laughs> and maybe next time, maybe next time they could sing a true sort of uh, Hispanic uh, M- uh, anthem in some respect. Yeah. Because of course, you know, the United States is heading towards the uh, you know the majority of the po- the percentage of the population whose first language will be English is declining rapidly. And the huge Hispanic population, you know, it's going to be big. And actually Biden now is saying that he's creating a route for 11 million illegal immigrants to become citizens. An eight-year route. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It is incredible. And it's definitely a a, a sea change over the last four years. So something to keep an eye on. That was one of his seventeen. Uh, executive orders on the first day. Again, groundbreaking. So it's this call for unity, but a big middle finger to Trump as well. <laughs> but he's also going to stop building the wall. So I'm wondering, is this is this going to be like a tourist attraction? You know, hang out where the wall ended. What and- wall though? Yeah, it's not much of a wall. There was mostly mostly fixing up the wall that was already there. Yeah, lots of fences. <laughs> lots of fences. Four hundred miles long, though, isn't it? Really longer than that. Meant to be yeah. longer than that, four hundred miles. That's nothing. That's, now they put sea. You know, it's nothing in America, is it? They've that, put seesaws on it now. Four hundred miles is barely Tijuana to Arizona. You know, it's nothing. So yeah, I did say that. You know, uh, Biden's speech. It was. It was long, wasn't it? It was average. You know, it, again, he's no, he's no JFK, and he's no Obama, but. You know, it's he said what had to be said. I think. Right. Know. Do you think that's the speech that he wanted to make? Um, that's a good question. Really, I mean, what does Joe Biden want? You know, I was I would say looking <laughs> back at his, he wants to be president. He's been trying for thirty years. He finally did it. Yeah, but 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 what's he been trying to do? I mean, I don't really know. It's not very clear. I mean, you you can look at policy statements. You can look at uh, uh, what he's been saying all along, but. 
again, it's all it's all in comparison. What he's saying is not very radical, not very different. It's just sort of standard middle of the road democratic policy. It just seems huge compared to Trump. So right. I don't, I, you know, I, I'm trying. I'm trying very hard not to be cynical, and it's not working. But the thing with Trump is that Trump, his appointees were just chaotic. I mean, they weren't necessarily skilled for the job they were assigned to, in a sense, because everything's focused on him, all the powers with him, always. And Biden, by the way he works, it's totally delegated. Mm. So actually, he's not going to have to deal with most of the shit. It's all going to go through all these talented people. He's got head of all the stuff, and he'll have a whole little crowd around him who takes care of all that in a completely different way, because his personality doesn't require him to make every single decision, have all the power. He's, he's the not chairman of the board. So, he, But he, he delegates, it's clear, and he's going to have to. There's no way a 78-year-old man like in his state is going to be able to do all that. He's got to, and he's surrounded by that crowd. So mm. it's going to be that crowd who make the agenda. So look at that crowd. And I, haven't, I don't know that crowd well enough yet, so I don't know. I do know there's some scientists in there, and that's, that's, that's a step forward. I'm, I've got my eyes on the CIA now as well. I mean, well, you I to- mean, you ought to put in an application. Get your CV together. You'll be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine me, day one, um, they were, we're just going to hire you on a wild card, some f- freaky parallel universe. I go walking into the Pentagon. The first thing I would say was, tell me about the aliens. <laughs> now. I, 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 I'm so surprised about uh, if in the death throes of Trump's presidency, when he was clinging on and willing to say anything or, or, or seemingly say anything, do anything to remain in power. If someone had sat him down and told him that there are aliens and that the US <laughs> government has been working with aliens since the 60s, blah, 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 that motherfucker would have said, oh, <laughs> and aliens exist and we've been working yeah. with them and they're tremendously smart and powerful and they only speak to me. <laughs> and you know what? You know, his television ratings will have gone through the roof if he had done that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, which which brings me to an interesting thing I wanted to bring up. Trump starting his own political party. Some people are saying right. he wants to start the Patriot Party, which made me laugh my ass off because if he even Googled the Patriot Party, he would have realized that that was the name of the, the Socialist American Party back in the, um, back in the, <laughs> in, in between the war. But, but... <laughs> Who knows? I mean, that would be that would be an interesting whether he would even be allowed to get on the ticket because we all remember what happened with with Ross Perot, right, Andy? You remember what happened with Ross Perot, right? I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Ross Perot was a, a, another billionaire um, uh, businessman who who ran for president and at the time was granted equal equal campaign time and campaign coverage from George Bush Senior. And Bill Clinton, and of course, he, uh, being a Texas billionaire, split the Republican vote right down the middle, and that's the single right. reason why uh, George Senior was a one-term president. So, well, if Trump was to start some sort of weird-ass Patriot Party, how much of that seventy-five million Republican vote would be split? How would that affect the next election? Ross Perot, Ross Perot cleared the ground for people like Trump. Ross Perot, who hated government and wanted small government, made his entire fortune, so I understand, out of the government and big government contracts. But it was the first independent who had made some inroads. Ralph Nader, 
Not really. Sort of split the Democrats and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. you know, and so, and Ross Pro did the same thing to the Republicans. So everyone's a third party. Who knows? They, they Apparently, I saw a logo out there. Is it a lion? A red, white, and blue lion? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, just, just to back up a little bit, too, I, I went ahead of myself. I, I'm keeping an eye on the CIA because we've got a Trump acolyte as the head of the, C- the Central Intelligence Agency right now. Uh, I wonder how that's going to play out. Um, I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name, but it's, a, it's, it's traditionally a 10-year term. And I think Comey left early. So Comey was FBI, though. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Sorry, not Comey. Um, oh, yeah. No, so the CIA, I think they'll change. The C- I think that, that's quite likely to change. No, I was thinking, I was mixing. The FBI is the other one. No. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's interesting because we we're back to, 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 to war and we're back to war policy and war finances. And, I, and I'm convinced that, that every war we've been into in, in history proves me correct since, since, um, since Vietnam has been CIA-led. So I wonder how that's going to play out. Who Biden, if 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 this this person who's in now leaves, who's going to um, who's he going to appoint? And that's someone we need to keep an eye on. What they're probably they'll probably say very little in public, but it's it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to keep your eye on that one to see how that plays into um, how that plays into Biden's war policy. Andrew, yes, uh, that we lost you. No. <laughs> No, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know, uh, I don't know much about the CIA. I know a little bit about MK Ultra. That was a CIA but, um, program, yes. And uh, apparently uh, Charles Manson was a... Well, that's not been proven, but that's... that's uh, a... There's some There's some great, great books on the CIA. There's some great books on the CIA, one of which I loaned to uh, uh, the brother of the person producing this right now. And uh, but but if you my reading of the CIA is it's a sort of extra it's a sort of um, uh, exercise in how to not do things correctly mm, and right. disastrously and expensively. <laughs> uh, historically, historically, it's been it's been one over another. I mean, I'll give them the fact that that if you if you think of the CIA as two two arms, you know, intelligence and ops. Is the CIA, if it wasn't for their intelligence arm, we would have never known about the Russians dumping nuclear missiles in Cuba, for example, and probably thousands of things we'll never know. So I understand the need for the intelligence, but it's the covert ops app, you know, the, the regime change. Yeah, no, the intelligence, it was supposed to be a, just an absorber of information. Yeah, it would have been, and from Mossadegh in, in, in Iran to the Sandinistas, you know, it's been, it's been nonstop covert ops. So that's why I, I want to keep an eye on who's being put, if they put a military person in charge of the CIA, then we're definitely going to, we're going to swing towards the, the ops aspect. And that's definitely a prelude to war, whether we like to know it or not, whether you, whether we know it or not historically. So again, keep, keeping an eye on that. We'll look back to Obama. Obama ramped up the use of drones for assassinations and for attacks all over. He, you know, no one used drones more than Obama. Now Obama's gang is now there. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. We got to look for the people that are there now. Yeah. I'm not a historian. I've just read a bunch of books and take, taking courses on the CIA and on the history of, of, of the, the those provinces. 
I could tell you I'm an idiot. And I could say, I don't care how many drones you fly around Afghanistan, you're not going to make a lick of difference. You're going to spend billions. You're going to kill billions. And it just drives me insane. No, no, I disagree totally. If they were Amazon delivery drones, we'd be talking something else, huh? (laughs) I could could get on board with Uber Eats flying me a Big Mac to my front door, but that's slightly different because it doesn't tend to have a nuclear-coated... You know, missile on the front of it. <laughs> what bombard the Middle East with Amazon and Uber Eats drones? <laughs> yeah, drones dropping recordings of the giant pod on hostile lands. They can all know, you know, the West is 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 quite nice with the face of Andy. <laughs> yes, we could send some to North Korea, couldn't we? We send them down in uh, uh, USB sticks. <laughs> uh, yeah. What were your What were your feelings watching Trump? Get onto that uh, that helicopter yesterday, and he gave it the old power fist as well, which I didn't like. And he he did a couple circles around Washington before he got to Andrews uh, Air Force Base. But the one thing I'll say about well, two things I'll say about Trump's final speech before he got on um, the plane to to Florida is one. I mean, he's always been, and I'm not saying this just to be insulting. He's always been a bit orange. But did you see, he, he was gesticulating like he always does. Look at the freeze frames. His hands were pure white, pushed up near his face, which was almost brown. It was unbelievable how much, how much tan, and his ears were white as well. You could see where either he's got something pasted on him or he was in that, that tanning machine way too long. I, I couldn't listen to what he was saying. Just, But on the other hand, the last word he said, he said goodbye, and they blared the YMCA by the village people. That's the final song Trump had to leave. Again, I, I felt like I was leaving Bizarro Land. Yeah. But just before That's that, weird. just before that, because I was sitting there listening to it, and the, and the window was open. And just just, just, just before the, 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 the village people came on, he, he, I heard this gigantic squeaking, high-pitched squeaking outside, and it was because Trump had just said, um, uh, and, uh, and we'll see you back here in some form soon. It was this sphincter, the collective sphincter of the Democratic <laughs> Party closing up tight, going, oh, shit. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back. What is next for Trump? What is next for him? Oh, well, they say a television station, television station, you know, who knows, a, a political party, television station. Mainly, he's got huge worries because he's got massive debts he's got to pay off. Deutsche Bank are coming at him for about $300 million. Uh, He's got lawsuits. He's got lawsuits. He's not paying his lawyer. He's been contesting Giuliani's legal fees. He's not, you know, so lawyers are being reluctant to take him on. He's got cash just pouring out of his system all the time. The the, the biggest thing he's got, though, and this is what uh, another thing I'm going to be watching intently is the Manhattan District Court, the um, Southern District of New York. She's I, I could almost see her sharpening the knives right now. Is they've got something. They haven't released any any um, subpoenas. They haven't released any cases yet. It's all on the lock and key. I can't wait to find out what they've got on them, if anything. Is so, he untouchable though? No. So the lawyer. So who was the the, the lawyer who did the um, uh, Russia investigation? He was based. Not not the Mueller investigation. Mueller. Okay. So Mueller. So Mueller was quite clever in his investigation. So what he actually did was he portioned 
evidence off and made copies off. So when the federal stuff, which you could manipulate, he also put lodged copies, as I understand it, within the purview of Southern District of New York, which is the baddest ass legal department in the country. It certainly is. And 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 so and actually they're completely independent. Even in New York, they're independent. You know, of, of New York, no one's going to mess with them. What makes them so badass? Like from the same city as the Ramones. That's why. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not just that. It's like it attracts all the most talented people. Mm. Most right. talented. So I, so I actually know someone who worked there who got the, you know and went on to greater things. But the point is, is that it's it's one of those independent things. It's always had this reputation for the. If you want to make your reputation as a prosecutor, you go there because the, the world opens up to you if you get in there. And you know it's very difficult to get in there. Um, you know, it's difficult to get a federal prosecutor appointment, but to get one in there, that's like the gold standard because they're so in fact effective, but they're not just effective. They're politically incredibly networked, mm. right. which makes them incredibly powerful. And, and very well funded, tremendous resources for um, investigative work as well. Keeping in mind that the Mueller investigation, which perhaps didn't implicate Trump in anything within his narrow purview, 17 convictions. 17 convictions came out of that. I mean, it was one of the most successful independent councils in the history of independent councils. I mean, especially think back to Ken Starr and the Clinton thing. All they got him on was Monica Lewinsky when that was supposed to be the Whitewater investigation. They got him on nothing. 17 prosecutions in that narrow purview. All that stuff, like you said, all those files, all that evidence turned over to the Southern District. So again, they've got they've got a nuclear bomb waiting a waiting a light, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, is their reputation built off of some historic cases? So I'm just trying to figure out what makes them why they are like why they're the gold standard. I don't know. Maybe maybe on the next podcast you could give us a heads up, and I'll do a little bit of research in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the, one of the things you you could get into, and this is very vague, but um there was quite a heavy kick towards organized crime and what what would be considered um, corporate overstep uh, throughout the 90s and into the 2000s. At the That's Giuliani. Isn't that Giuliani's period? I mean, he was, he was top prosecutor. But he was also the mayor at the time. Yeah, the mayor, right. He was the mayor at the time I'm talking about. So, yeah. I mean, he was a prosecutor in, in the Southern District for a while. He was the one that went after... Uh, Oh, Gatto. Gotti. Gotti. Oh, John Gotti. Yeah. But no, I'm thinking of that um that congressman who's famous for uh famous for organizing all that covert CIA money during the Afghan rebellion. He basically the guy who invented the Taliban. Um they did a film about him as well. Charlie Wilson. Oh, Wilson's war. Yeah, he, he that was that was the uh the Southern District went after him as well. And that was back in the um in the early 80s, and, and failed. But still, that was Rudy Giuliani. What happened to Rudy? Why has right. he done what he has done to himself? Well, he's melted. That's what he's done. He, he watched it live <laughs> on TV. He was America's mayor, right? Is that right? That's correct? Seen as that after 9-11? yeah. Now, he was already in some shit, and then on the day of 9-11, he was in some shit, wasn't he? He's, always, he's, out. he's always in some shit. Giuliani came after... Um, uh, the first black mayor in New York, David Dinkins. Uh, and back then, New York was the New York we, we read about. It was seedy, it was creative, it was 
all those things that poverty brings with with art, you know. And we could talk about it in music terms, you know, the the, the, the the whole punk thing happened, came out of destitute New York. Um, I remember going to New York City quite a bit, I mean, at, at that time. And you'd get, I always say this, you'd get these squeegee guys. As soon as you come over the bridge or out of the tunnel, you're stuck in traffic, they come over, they split something on your windscreen, clean it, um, and then you have to pay them, you know, throw them a dollar or two. And then the homeless population, Giuliani was elected mayor. And I'm not kidding, and I, and I know I'm not misremembering this. Within six months, they were gone. The homeless people were gone. The squeegee guys were gone. And we used to laugh, like, well, Giuliani had him shot and dumped into the river. Um, so he had a major, major influence on the corporate takeover of, of New York City. But what comes with that all the time? Backpedaling, backdoor deals, um, lobbying money, bribery money. He was being investigated from from every angle by the time 9-11 happened. And, uh, of course, all that was gone. The Lord knows where all those cases went. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get into more specifics, but I'll need some more time to research it up again. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm only going on my memory here of being in New York City during Giuliani's days. But you check out that beautiful pantsuit of Michelle Obama. I just can't get over it. <laughs> She looks so stunning. <laughs> I tell you what, I was impressed by uh, Kamala's purple outfit. You know, because yeah, that was purple. again that was that was quite obviously red and blue. You know, what she was the was, purple? There was a purple theme. I don't know what the purple theme was about. Well, the purple theme is about is what do you do when you get blue and red? You get purple. That was a whole unity <sighs> theme. Oh, I see. I got it. Oh, I missed. I totally missed that reference. <laughs> if I missed it. If I missed it. Do you think a couple of rednecks sitting in their trailer are going to catch it? Hey, may, maybe I'm imagining it, but that's what it seemed like to me. That was quite obvious. There was a purple theme going on. Right. Mm. Well, I can use the term redneck, by the way, because, I, you know, I was a redneck back in Ohio on the farm <laughs> because I had a redneck from baling hay all day long. That's why my shoulder's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea what to call this episode. So we were going to call it an inauguration special, which I guess we've talked about the inauguration a bit. But it's been a, a wider spectrum as of the of of the. Uh, yeah, right. You can still snapshot. call it that. Certainly, the the inauguration was it was the the center point of everything that went before, during, and after. So yeah, go on. Your show, do what you want, man. You're the boss. Well, it is about. We did talk about the inauguration, but it's really about the world turning now. Mm. Mm. So the world's there's a, there's a turn of the world, and and it's kind of weird to. You know, we, we talked about a lot of things because the inauguration is just that point. Mm, yeah. And that point only happens because of all the other crap coming at it. So, so inauguration special is exactly right. Because I, I, oh, I, actually I, most I, people, what do, you, what do you want us to do? Okay, I, I've talked about Michelle's uh, pantsuit <laughs> and that That's couple, the, that power couple, they look fantastic. But you can only talk about that stuff for so long. We've talked about Lady yeah. Gaga, we, you know, but we actually, it's where we got there. That's the inauguration. Mm. <laughs> there it is.
Big thank you for checking out this very special edition of The Giant Pod. It was the US inauguration special with my guests, John Nelson and Will Angeloro. Big thank you to them for coming on. If you liked what you heard and you thought, hey, these guys are cool, I like what they're saying, I like what they're about, go to season one of The Giant Pod where I have an episode with John and I have an episode with Will and you can listen to some more of their lovely, lovely American accents. Uh, We will leave some links to, I don't know what, something good in the show notes description box. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review for The Giant Pod. And tell a friend as well, because that really helps. Just tell one friend. Uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter at, at the Giant Pod. You can follow my Instagram as well at Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was magnificently produced by the statesman-like Harry Williams. We will see you soon for another edition of The Giant Pod. Have a good one. Thanks very much.